One day, people asked Jesus, how can we pray like you pray? And he responded by giving them six specific things to ask. The first three things we've already worked through in this series, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And you have to admit, those first three things are pretty deep. Like, what do you mean by that? And it's been fun so far in this series digging into those first three things with you. But today we're getting into the first of these six requests that actually just makes sense. Jesus, as he's talking to people in an age before refrigeration, before mass transportation, before seed-altering technologies, before all these things, Jesus told them that when you pray, say, give us today our daily bread. And the people would have shook their heads. Yep, that's what we need. The challenge for us in the 21st century, especially 21st century America, is that we might be wondering, is this request, this thing to ask in prayer, is it still something we should do? Or, Or has it become in some way obsolete? Because let's be honest, if you are stuck in your house right now, How long could you survive just with the food that's already in your chest freezer and just the food that's in your pantry? Or think about it this way. If you were going to drive home today, but on your way home, you had to stop at the supermarket and just use whatever's currently in your wallet, whatever money, whatever cards, how many days worth of food could you potentially buy on your way home right now? I'm not asking you to transport it home. I don't know if you can, but just purchasing the food. Now, I want to acknowledge there are people in this world and even people within the United States for, for which hunger is a problem, and I don't want to shoot over that. I think for, for, for you, if, if that's you, this petition is already getting your attention. Like You kind of know this already. But what I want to acknowledge is that for most of the audience I'm speaking to, it's people who could go home right now and live for weeks people who could travel home right now and buy months worth of food without thinking twice. Does this still make sense to ask in the 21st century America? We're going to get to that in just a moment. First of all, I want to give you just a quick rundown of where we've been in the Lord's Prayer and how it actually makes a really interesting progression. Like I said, this is the fourth thing that we're looking at. So far, we've seen your name, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. The first three things Jesus teaches people to pray for has everything to do with God. God, help us see you as you are. Help us see what you can do. Help us see what your will, what your plan is. And the people might be thinking, when are we going to get to the prayer part? (laughs) Right now, we're just telling God who he is and what he does. And then finally, in this fourth thing, Jesus shifts the spotlight onto you and me. And he says, when you pray, when you pray, and when the spotlight goes on to you, do you know what you bring to the table? Your needs. We bring our need to God. There's this stark contrast between your name, your kingdom, your will. God is infinite. He is good, he is holy, he is awesome. And then when we come into the picture, what do we bring? Our limitations. I think Jesus had a unique perspective on this. 
being God, but becoming a human being like us. He had a unique perspective on what it's like to become finite, to all of a sudden become limited. If, if I were talking to a group of fifth, sixth, seventh graders, eighth graders, and if I was trying to explain the term finite, like we're finite people, we have finite resources, I would say something like this. I'd say finite means it's only a matter of time until what you have runs out. <laughs> what does this look like? If you're single and in your 20s, it's only a matter of time until your 20s run out. Like, you know this, right? On the other end of the spectrum, if you're retired, if you have your nest egg, it's only a matter of time until the nest egg runs out. You can do things to compensate for it. You can slow it down. But we are finite. We are limited. And ultimately, though we try to cover it up and hide it, we all have to come to terms with it. I believe this is one of the the biggest reasons why we're living in unprecedented anxiety right now. The last couple of years have taught us that the things that could distract us from, you know, our finiteness are, are, are being taken away. It's becoming so clear that it's only a matter of time until your good looks go away. They run out. Your money runs out. Your, your abilities run out. Whatever it is that gives you purpose or hope can run out. And so as we come into God with prayer, Jesus says, when when you come before the infinite God, you don't just start rattling off, hey, I need this, I need that, I need this. You come up into God's presence acknowledging, Father, you are, you are, you are. And finally, what do I bring? I bring my own limitations. So in other words, if if you're going to put this fourth request into maybe everyday terms, it's interesting to see how there's actually a redundancy in it. Give us today our daily bread. You you could just take out one of those days, right? Give us today our bread or give us our daily bread. But Jesus says, no, you have to remember you are finite. You're limited. So in other words, you could say the, the petition like this. You could say there are things that we need for everyday life. That's who we are. There are things that we need. We can build up, we can store, but eventually it's going to run out. So what Jesus teaches you to pray is this. Father, would you fill today's needs? And it's not just about bread. It's not just about asking God to fill up your plate. It's about asking God to fill your heart. There's different needs that we have in life. Food is just one of them. Jesus acknowledged as much when he was teaching people about worrying one day, and he said, isn't life more than food? Isn't your body more than clothing? Those are things we stress about and worry about, but there's something deeper. We all have needs, but ultimately, we all have one big need. And that's what I want to get to today. When you say, give us today our daily bread, what should come to your mind is that we are limited beings. It's only a matter of time until what we have runs out. We have to constantly manage our capacity. And as we think about the big picture of all the days and months and years ahead of you, it can be, it can be something that fills you with anxiety, thinking about the big picture of all the needs that you'll have throughout life. But isn't it cool that Jesus invites you, hey, when you're in your Father's presence, just say, Father, I have everyday needs. Would you just fill today's? 
Jesus invites you to narrow your scope. And let me give you permission if you're someone who deals with anxiety, and I know that there's the medical side of this, and we're not talking about that. But if, if you're someone who's been filled with anxiety, maybe instead of saying, give me today my daily bread, would you say, Father, would you give me this minute what I need for this minute? Would you give me this hour what I need for this hour? Jesus invites you to take a very small picture of your life and remember that you have a Father in heaven who's with you. That said, when it comes to the things that you're going through in life, maybe for you it's bread, it's food that you're desperate for and is giving you anxiety. Maybe it's something else. But when it comes to this part of the Lord's Prayer, you have to answer for yourself, which of your needs are you desperate for God to fill? Has it been a relationship tension where you don't know how to navigate it or how it's going to resolve, and so you've been laying it before God? Would you please help resolve this? I'm desperate for you to fill this need in my life. For some, it's a money thing. For others, it's a health thing. Where, what, where are, which of your needs are you desperate for God to fill? Where do you feel like you're scraping the bottom of the barrel and it's just a minute-by-minute, day-by-day thing? Where are you most desperate? And would you think about that as we look at an incredible story today from 1 Kings chapter 17 of a man named Elijah and a widow that we don't know her name. They understood what it's like to be there, to, to be so desperate that you're leading on God every minute just to get by. As we go through their story, what I hope that you take from this is to better understand that when you say, give us today our daily bread, it helps you to, to think exactly of what you are asking God to do. And kind of a spoiler, as we get to the end, it's not about one thing you need. It's actually about the one thing you need. And this is something that Elijah and this widow both got to experience. So we're going to dig into the Old Testament today as we dig into God's word. And like I said a couple weeks ago, it's always like a tension. You know, how much do I explain? I don't know if this is a term, but sometimes I feel like I pastor explain things to you a little too much. But the reason I do that is because I so love it when new people come and maybe you don't have a background of what the, what's in the Bible and you know who, who different people were. So I just want to give you a little bit of a framework to help you understand what's going on in 1 Kings 17. And I apologize if for some of you this is pastor explaining things. So in 1 Kings chapter 17, it's an Old Testament book of the Bible. It happens in about 900 BC. And in this chapter, we see the prophet Elijah come onto the scene for the very first time. This, this is the first time his name is mentioned. And there's even some uncertainty about where he came from. Is it where he was born or where he settled in? We're not even sure. The point of the prophet Elijah wasn't really who he was. It's what God was going to do through him. And if you remember, even in Jesus' day, people said, who is this? Is this the prophet Elijah come back? The, the greatest prophet from, from biblical history was Elijah. Um, what else you need to know about 1 Kings 17 was that the king in Israel, the, the northern tribes of Israel, was King Ahab, which he was a pretty bad guy. If you want this week, you can keep reading after this section to see the tales of King Ahab. But uh, he married Jezebel, 
which that name might ring some bells. She was from Sidon. The reason I put Sidon up here is because this is going to be important in just a minute. Sidon was just north of Israel. It was along the coast. And the reason Ahab married her was to form some sort of treaty or alliance. It was a political move. The thing is, God told his kings not to do this. And the reason is because of what happened with Ahab. Not only did he bring Jezebel into his house, but he also brought Jezebel's gods. He welcomed this god called Baal. And more than just embracing it, he actually spread it throughout his own country. Baal worship became prominent in Israel because of what happened here. And then what we also need to know is Baal basically was one of the chief gods in that area. This was the god of the area of Sidon, the Phoenician god. And they recognized him as the god of dew and the god of rain because so much of their crops depended on dew and rain. They depended on that daily dew in order to get their bread. And so as as they focused on this God, not only in Sidon, but now in Israel, God said, it's time for me to realign my people, to, to discipline them so that they can have their eyes focus back on me. And so one day, Prophet Elijah, this is in 1 Kings 17, Prophet Elijah went to King Ahab and said, because you've done this, there will be no dew or rain until the Lord says it's okay. You think your God is in control? You think Baal is doing this for you? By the word of God, there will be no dew or rain. And so obviously what happened after that, there was a severe drought, an extended drought. And God sends Elijah out to this, uh, this little brook in the Hebrew. I, this is what I learned in seminary. So you ready for this? The brook, a better name for it is a wadi. W-A-D-I, a wadi. A wadi is like a brook that only exists for part of the year. When it's rainy, when it's wet, you'll have this little brook up here, but during the dry seasons, there's nothing. So it's like a creek that kind of dries out. So God sent Elijah to this wadi, this river, and he also sent in some ravens. (laughs) Do you guys know what ravens eat? Yeah, if, if you know your, your, your um, science, ravens are omnivores, which means they're like teenagers. They eat anything. They eat everything. But God actually used ravens to bring bread and meat to Elijah twice a day, every day. It was incredible. I don't know how it worked. Maybe the ravens were just bringing food to this, to this wadi, and that's where they would eat every day, and Elijah, Elijah would shoo them away and They would leave their food behind. Well, I'm not sure how it worked, but God provided for Elijah every day, morning and evening. Elijah depended on God for his daily bread and meat. So just imagine day after day after day, Elijah going through this process. But then one day comes where the drought is so extended and so severe that even this little wadi dries up. And that's where we're about to get into 1 Kings chapter 17. But first, what we see from the prophet Elijah's life is something I want to bring out in your life real quick before we get into it. When it comes to the prophet Elijah's life, God demonstrates something here and also to come, which is simply this. God is interested in your physical needs. It's not just that he says, hey, go to church once a week and then we'll be good, which he never said that, but... 
He's not just interested in your beliefs or in your soul or in your spirit, but God created you as a physical being. Jesus himself experienced what that is like. And having experienced it, Jesus said, when you pray, pray for your physical needs. You don't have to, you don't have to apologize to God for praying for your physical body. God is interested in it. And it'd be later in Elijah's story that God actually takes care of him physically by providing him with bread and water. So as you think about that, considering your personal, physical needs, where are you desperate for God to show up? Elijah was desperate. His source of water had dried up. And so God gave him a new command. He said, I I, I commanded the, the ravens to feed you. And now I'm commanding someone else. So the word of the Lord, as we get into verse 8, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And stay there. I don't want you just to, you know, go there and preach, repent. This is where Jezebel had come from. This is the country where Baal worship had come from. He said, I don't want you to go there as my prophet to preach against it. I want you to go there to stay. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. And I don't know what Elijah was was thinking in this moment, but you have to imagine he's thinking this grand thing. Like, I wonder who this widow is. Like, was she this rich woman and her husband just passed away and now she's got this huge estate and she's feeding people or maybe she runs a nonprofit and she's, you know, distributing food all across. I wonder what Elijah was thinking as he was being sent to this foreign country where Baal worship had come from. And now there's this widow who's going to take care of him. But regardless of what he was thinking, he simply went. He went to Zarephath and when he came to the town gate, a widow Hey, a widow was there gathering sticks. He, he called to her, and I'm sure he was wondering, I wonder if this is the one. So he gives a little test. Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? And if she would respond, no, get away from here, you Israelite scum, I'm sure Elijah would have looked for another widow and, you know, continued his search. But instead, what this woman did was she went and she began to get him a little drink of water. But that's where things get interesting. As she was going to get it, he called, oh, and please get me a piece of bread. And if you look at the Hebrew language where this, that was, this was originally written in, it adds in this phrase, in your hand. I don't know why the English cut it out. Maybe it's, it's just assumed that we know she was going to give it to him in her hand. But he said, when you come back, would you also bring me a piece of bread? Don't bring me a basket. Don't bring this big thing. Just whatever in your hand. And this is one of those stories where it reminds me that when you're talking to people and asking them for things, you never know the story of what they've just been living in. He just comes up to this woman who's gathering sticks. Hey, could I have some water and a little bit of bread? And this opens up the floodgates for the most heartbreaking story you can imagine. Here's her story. She said, as surely as the Lord your God lives, I don't have any bread. You're asking me for a piece of bread that I can hand to you in my hand? I I only have a handful of flour, what can fit in my palm, and I have a little olive oil in a jug. 
You see me picking up sticks. I'm gathering a few sticks. Literally, I'm gathering two sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son so that we may eat it and die. You interrupted my preparation for our final meal. But so sorry if you need a drink of water and some bread. But you have to see where I'm coming from. And some of you have been in a situation like that too, where maybe someone just asked you a simple question, one little thing from you. Moms, this happens to you every day. One little question that sets you off. Don't you know what's going on? I have nothing left to give. And she goes off on this emotional story that I can't imagine what she had been through. And I can't imagine the anxiety that she must have had picking out two sticks to cook up a little bit of bread so they could have one final meal and die of starvation. Now, here's something for the guys. As as Elijah is listening to this story, I know that he listened to the whole thing, but I think he did what guys tend to do, which is he got stuck on the first sentence. And women, we don't mean to do this, but sometimes when you talk a lot, we just think about the first thing you said, and then the rest is kind of a jumble. I know he listened to the whole thing, but it was the first thing she said that was important, and we skipped right over it. Just look at that. She said, as surely as the Lord your God lives. Baal is dead. If he were there, he would have done something. We would have dew. We would have rain. We all know he's dead. But your God, the God of Israel, he's not just some statue in a temple. I believe he's there. He lives. And it was because she said this that Elijah was thinking, we can work with this. I don't need a widow who's wealthy and has, you know, (laughs) running a nonprofit. I don't need someone who has all these things to give. All we need is for someone who recognizes the presence of God in their life. And that is all that you need too. When you are scraping the bottom of your barrel and saying, there's nothing else I have to give. If you have this, you have enough. My God lives My God is with me. And so this allows Elijah to give her some words of comfort. He goes on to say, don't be afraid. You see this come up so many times when people are worried or troubled. Whenever the word of God comes to them, the first thing is, don't be afraid. Don't be worried. Don't be anxious. Go home and do as you said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself. And your son. And you have to imagine the woman is like, I see what you're doing here. How about we reverse that? How about I get the first loaf and you get whatever is left? But there was a reason why she did this. She, she goes and she does this for a reason. And this is so important. The reason that she does this isn't because she's gullible or because she's so weakened from, from malnutrition. It's because of what Elijah says next. He says, for the reason I want you to do this is For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There's a promise for you that I want to tell you. He goes on to say, The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain. And you have to imagine this woman 
took this to heart. The jar, the jar of flour will not be used up. The jug of oil will not run dry. I'm sure she was repeating that as she put, took the flour out of her jar. The jar of flour will not be used up. The jar of flour will not be used up. She was repeating this over and over as she was taking it out. The, the jug of oil will not run dry. The jug of oil will not run dry. These were words that she had to imprint on her heart in order to follow what Elijah was saying. And here's the miracle, verse 15. She went away and she did as Elijah had told her, the jar of flour will not run out. So there was food every day for Elijah and the woman and her family. Four, the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry. In keeping with the, the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Here's the takeaway from this. She was in a position, and Elijah was in a position, where daily bread was a very immediate need, a desperate need that they needed God to fill. And the reason their need was filled was because of a promise. Elijah clung to that promise. That widow clung to that promise, and it sustained them during that time. This is what it means for you. You and I also get to cling to what God has promised us. The thing is, he doesn't always promise you the same thing he promises every person in the Bible. For example, I've tried this. It doesn't work if you use up your jar of flour. It doesn't magically fill up again. You have to go to the store and buy more flour because this promise was specific for that widow. There's other promises in the Bible that are specific for the original audience, like Joshua. Don't be afraid. As you conquer this new land, I will be with you. I have a plan for you. I will prosper you. That was a specific promise to a specific person. But there are some promises that we see from God that are directed towards you. But before we get to that, I want to ask you, what have you been clinging to? Because if you're not clinging to God's promises, what are you holding on to? Is it that last bit of flour? Is it that last bit of oil? That last bit of money? That last bit of hope that a relationship can be salvaged? That last bit of hope that you'll get the call that you have a job. What exactly do you cling to? What I find incredible is that when Jesus invites you to pray, he doesn't start with, first of all, declare to God how horrible you are and how much of a sinner you are. He'll get there. The first thing he says is that when you come to your father in heaven, the first thing your father wants to hear is, Father, I have everyday needs, but would you fill today's needs for me, please? You still have a God who, first of all, fills your need of sending a Savior to wash away your sin. What have you been clinging to is forgiven. And in his place, God gives you a promise that you can hold on to for life. There are so many promises you see throughout the Bible that are worth holding on to. I'm going to give you two. And if you're looking for more, please send me an email. I've got an entire list of promises. And what I think is that just like this woman uh, who fed Elijah needed a very specific promise to hold on to, sometimes there's a very specific promise in God's word that you just need for a season and you need to hold on to it. And if you're looking for more, I would love to help you with that. Send me an email. My, my email is in the, the bulletin. It's, it's on our website. I would love to give you more. But I just want to give you an example of two promises that God gives to you to cling to. 
First one, this is from Jesus himself. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, your existence, your everyday needs. Don't worry about what you will eat or drink. And he says, also, don't worry about your body, what you will wear. And then he goes on with really specific detail about what he means by those two things. But he summarizes it like this. Don't worry, rather seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And then all these other things, these little details like what you need to eat, what you need to drink, what you need to wear, those will be taken care of as well. This is a specific promise given to you. And I'm going to give you a second one because it kind of takes this and it gives the application for what this specifically looks like. Philippians chapter 4, 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, big or small, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, give us today our daily bread, with thanksgiving, recognizing how he has provided daily bread for so long, present your requests to God. And as you bring your anxiety to God, what does he do? He doesn't, he doesn't magically fix your life, but he does give you something miraculous. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When Jesus taught people to pray for daily bread, he wasn't talking about ways that God could fill their plate, although he does. But the main point, the, the underwriting thing, was how God fills our hearts with peace. There can be so much anxiety thinking about your daily needs for the next day, week, month, year, life, and all the things that could happen between now and then. But Jesus says, no, your Father in heaven, he'll be with you tomorrow. Don't miss the fact that he's with you today. So praying for daily bread reflects a desperate need, not just for bread, not just for money or for whatever, it reflects a desperate need for God himself to be present in your life. And then what Jesus teaches on next is he says, once you've prayed for daily bread, then you say, forgive us our sins. Because when you pray for daily bread, you see how God has been so faithful, how he's been so present every day of your life. We're actually going to skip that part of the Lord's prayer. We're going to skip over, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. What I encourage you to do is, if, that's, if forgiveness is something that you need to work on, I would, Pastor Ben just preached a message on this in 2019. That's part of the reason why we're skipping over it. But uh, there's a message in the um, uh, series where we talked about difficult sayings. And one of them was forgive 77 times. Um, that really dives into this whole concept of forgiveness. But as we wrap up today, I just want to leave you with this thought. As Jesus teaches you to pray for daily bread, it's an invitation for me and for you to remember how we are so different from the infinite God. We come to him with weakness. We come to him with needs. But your father in heaven loves it when you bring your physical needs to him. He is interested in your physical well-being. And when you pray for your physical well-being, it's a reflection of how desperate you are in every area, how desperate you are for God. So would you apply that for yourself this week? What's a promise that you need to cling to in this season of your life? Let go of whatever else you were holding on to and cling to the fact that your Father in heaven loves you. Let's pray. 
Dear Father in heaven, give us today our daily bread. As we think through that phrase on a daily or weekly basis, I pray that it would invite us into a moment of vulnerability as the finite creatures that we are consider being in the presence of an infinite God. And I know it's so easy for us to turn immediately to what we want and what we need, but we've already asked you to align our will to your will. Now, as we consider our needs, help us turn to you as not just the provider of our needs, but we turn to you as the one that we are desperate for ourselves. I know in my life, there's things that I can cling to other than your promises, and it never turns out well. Thank you for being a loving Father in heaven who forgives all of us freely and give to us through your word the promises that give hope and peace, a peace that this world cannot understand. Bless us as we take this truth from your word and live it out in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.